Last week on Sweet 1111, we took you to Fungi Farm. Today, we'll be bringing you back to Auburn University to talk to someone Fungi Farm owner Alan Carroll has dubbed the Mushroom Queen. She's a graduate student and registered nurse with a master's in psychiatric nursing practice who has worked with a different kind of mushroom, the magic kind. These mushrooms contain psilocybin, an active hallucinogenic. Recently, research focused on treating mental illness with psychedelics has gained popularity for its effectiveness. Today, we are asking why that is, and where this science could potentially be headed in the future. From the Auburn Plainsman, this is Sweet 1111. I'm Trice Brown. This week, podcast writer Katie Carroll talks with the mushroom queen herself, Taylor Hayes, a graduate student at the University of South Alabama who is teaching psychiatry to nursing students here at Auburn and founded a nonprofit organization called the International Association of Psychedelic Nursing. Stay with us. Hey, this is Evan Mielens, online editor of the Auburn Plainsman. I just want to remind everyone, if you'd like to support this organization and our podcast team, you can log on to theplainsman.com and click on the button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate. You'll be supporting over 127 years of local, editorially independent journalism right here in Auburn. Once again, that's theplainsman.com and click on the button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate. Thank you so much in advance, and now back to the show. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. The Plainsman does not recommend or condone any use of illegal substances, and neither does Taylor. Taylor Hayes sits across a wooden conference table in the nursing building. She wears a white button-up shirt with squiggly black lines and random bursts of blue, yellow, and red. It kind of looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. She tells me that her shirt is actually an artwork done by the Shipibo tribe which is a group of indigenous people in the Amazon rainforest of Peru. She said that this shirt could be translated into their language. Uh, but, but if you find someone who is an authentic indigenous person, they can read this and they'll, they'll sing a song to you. And they'll say, you know, it'll be a song of healing or protection over your body. Um, so this Taylor also occasionally reaches up and touches a necklace that hangs down the center of her chest. Suspended by a black rope is a brown circle of what appears to be wood, but is actually a small piece of ayahuasca vine. And the way it, it kind of looks like your brain, if you look at it, it has, it's like heart shaped. And there's also different lobes. It sort of looks like a brain or like, it's, it's quite fascinating. Connected to the vine is a dark green crystal, which she explains is a serpentine crystal, and is supposed to symbolize a connection to the heart. She was gifted this necklace before her first ayahuasca ceremony. To understand how Taylor got this shirt and necklace, we have to take you back to about 2014, when Taylor was a student at Auburn. She said that when she entered college, she had no idea what she wanted to do as a career. While at Auburn, Taylor sought counseling services from Auburn's medical clinic. Her experience with the healthcare professionals at the clinic made her decide to pursue nursing. And I was really inspired by the people that I met through through that program, and I wanted um, I wanted to be more like that. I wanted to be more like that in my own life, so I, I chose nursing, and it, it seemed like a really good fit for me. Mental health has always been a, a strong draw for me. It's just been sort of an interesting field of study. So <laughs> I just kind of stuck with uh, stuck with nursing and, and then 
fell in love with it. So my back but how Taylor got interested in psychedelics' effect on mental health is not quite so smooth. My story with psychedelics is is quite um, difficult to pinpoint. You know exactly when did psychedelics become so prevalent in my life? I would say um, most likely when when I was about nineteen years old. I was a student here at Auburn. Um, like I said, I was kind of floundering around. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And I um, was just hanging out with, you know, random parties and acquaintances and trying to find a friend group. Well, in that, um, I was uh, sort of accidentally administered a mushroom. I didn't understand that this mushroom was psychedelic mushroom. I, I had no idea. Um, so I ended up tripping and I didn't know, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't, you know, all my friends left me alone. It was quite scary experience for me. And I definitely would not, you know, recommend anyone, you know, go, go into a situation like that. Um, so it was, that was, that was kind of interesting. But after that experience, you know, it taught me quite a lot. I started caring more about more for myself I'm just going to jump right in here to mention that months after this experience, Taylor said she no longer met the qualifications for clinical depression. So I was very fascinated in the link of how I improved my lifestyle, I improved my uh, own mental health, I became more engaged in school, um, and and how this tied into this this jarring psychedelic experience that I had. Um, I began reading the research, reading more information, learning that research was going on, learning that this wasn't a new uh, phenomenon, that this had gone on for uh, decades here in the U.S. And, and centuries and thousands of years in other cultures around the world. Taylor decided to continue exploring this and signed up for a research study in Jamaica, led by a professor from a university in London named Dr. Watts. So I flew down to Jamaica. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do illegal drugs. I'm not, uh, you know, I want to do this properly in an open environment with true medical uh, observation so that I would be safe. I know what I'm taking. Uh, so I went to Jamaica. And Taylor said that she had a profound experience in Jamaica, and for her next travel opportunity, she essentially created her own study abroad program. She stayed in Peru for six weeks at a research center set up by the nonprofit organization, the Ayahuasca Foundation. Here, she studied traditional indigenous medicine systems. Taylor was introduced to Shipibo traditions, explaining the shirt that was mentioned at the beginning of the episode. And coming back to the necklace she wears, she also researched ayahuasca's use to treat mental health disorders. Ayahuasca is a mixture of two plants, the ayahuasca vine itself and a coffee-like plant, the chucruna. These plants are mixed together in a tea-like drink, which is full of orally active dimethyltryptamine, or as it is commonly known, DMT. DMT is already naturally produced in the human body. However, ingesting DMT from the ayahuasca brew is a different experience. Typically, you get intense visual hallucinations, sometimes auditory hallucinations, um, and you'll have uh, very deep purging. So often people will purge. Uh, you may shake or cry or um, laugh. You may uh, vomit is very, very common. It's typical of people who've had an experience like this to have a story about that one time. That story comes rushing back to their mind anytime someone asks. Here's Taylor's. So one of the, the the strongest experiences that I had was a shared hallucination with another man in the group. 
And he actually came to me afterwards. He said, I saw this snake and it ate you. He said, I was so scared. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. But to me, I did see a snake, but it came to me and it said, um, this is very common experience on ayahuasca. They say the snake will come to you. And it says uh, the snake communicated to me that it wanted to eat me. And I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. And uh, <laughs> But I connected, you know, with myself and, and the snake. And it said, you know, like this will heal you. It, it will be, it will be, it will heal you. And I said, okay. So I just let go of all of the fear. And that's a big part of these psychedelic experiences, letting go of your fear, just letting go of whatever you're afraid of. And so I just accepted that this happened to me and I just felt peace. It was just like peace and love. And I felt so just like I was in the right place somewhere I was meant to be. And like I said, the next morning, this man said, I watched this snake eat you. He said it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And he never drank ayahuasca again. Then um, I later learned that, that if a serpent comes to you or the ayahuasca snake comes to you and, and eats you, that's considered one of the highest blessings among some indigenous tribes. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I received this blessing. And even now, I mean, it's been about two and a half years since I drank ayahuasca. And I feel I, I still feel um the effects. It, it, it was just very therapeutic experience for me. Taylor said that this experience can last four to six hours and is performed in a style of a ceremony where indigenous songs are sung throughout. This ceremony might sound a little foreign to people listening in the United States, but Taylor says that in places like this, it's a very normal practice. And this is part of this culture's uh, healing process. And it's, it's thought to be connected to the energy field, your, your own energy field and the energy field of the earth. Um, so this is, it's just an entirely different view of healing and what people are than we have here in America. So it really, it blew my mind. <laughs> it's important to note the disconnect between Western medicine and these natural healing ceremonies. Today in the United States, we have doctor's offices and hospitals within a drive of almost anywhere you are. That's not the case for those who live in these rainforest-like climates. We were right on the Amazon River, and uh, it's, it, I mean, there's nothing there. There's huts, and 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 you just depend on the, the forest to keep you alive. You know, there's, there's town, but it's four hours away or, you know, two hours by boat or something. So you have to make use of your of your environment and it's very different view of medicine there and, and using your environment, using the plants around you, uh, you know, beyond ayahuasca, there's thousands of plants in the Amazon rainforest, you know, and, and the people there use these plants for different medicinal purposes. So why are we so separated here in America is that we're just separated from nature. We're more separated from our own landscape. We live in these very fancy, we have lots of amenities here, lots of comfort, um, you know, fancy cars, nice brick buildings, and, you know, we don't have to worry about our heating and air conditioning and things like that. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's great. I love all of these amenities, you know. But we with that comes a separation from the rest of nature. We kind of, in our culture here, we sort of view ourselves as separate from the forest, not as part of the forest and working within it. 
Taylor also said that a lot of opposition to psychedelic research in America is rooted in our society's beliefs. Um, that's, that's kind of just a cultural perspective that, that we have here in America um, behind just drugs are bad in general. You know, we lump, we have a, a tendency to lump all drugs together when really it's just this vast library and we have to look at like, well, what is useful, what is not useful? And it's it's just fully integrated in, in other um, societies that have continually used these medicines and have lineages of uh, healers, you know, so it'll be... It'd be just like we have doctors here, you know, people study medicinal plants of the Amazon for 12 years of their life or whatever, and they'll be an expert in that. We'll be right back. From the Auburn Plainsman, my name is Jack West, and this is your news for the week. Short-term rental properties like Airbnbs will now be prohibited in several single-family residential Auburn neighborhoods. Last Tuesday, the Auburn City Council voted 5-3 to three to approve an amendment which would curtail where these short-term rental properties could be. This vote came after years of arguments in both the council and the community broadly about the role these kinds of properties should have in Auburn. In other news, a new organization in Auburn's College of Business called Women in Technology is holding workshops and speaking events dedicated to helping women develop professional skills like resume building and interview techniques. The group's vice president, Morgan Lyons, said she joined the organization because she has a passion for encouraging women to go into the technology field. Quote, Only 28% of women join the technology field, and I hope this organization encourages more business students to join. End quote. From the Auburn Plainsman, this has been your news for the week. Now, back to the show. So, we've told you about Taylor's experience in places where these psychedelic drugs are legally used to heal, and we've even talked about why these cultures see psychedelics differently than our own. But we have yet to answer one very important question. How does Taylor think this could affect Western medicine, and why would that be beneficial? Taylor said that it's important to know balance can be achieved between ancient indigenous practices and current Western medicine. To start adding more natural medicine does not mean giving up cushion chairs and other comforts, she said. And to use these practices does not mean forfeiting modern medicine by any means. In fact, many modern medicines were rooted in natural substances. I, that. You know, I think that we can have like a sort of marriage between um, pharmaceutical medications and hallucinogenic medicines. And it's just really opening the, the door to a, to a wider medicine system, you know, having more tools in the toolbox, so to speak. Taylor said that there has been a growing movement in the United States and greater world to start using these natural psychedelics in the medical field. The research is mounting, and she said that during her time at the Ayahuasca Foundation, they were studying Ayahuasca's effect on narcissistic personality disorder, which Taylor said they experienced some success in. People here, so if people can be cured in a couple of uh, administrations of this plant brew, that's quite fascinating because, you know, 10 years of therapy, people don't make much progress with that condition. Despite this, Taylor said that there's still a good bit more research needed to be done on ayahuasca's effect on mental health. On the other hand, research on psilocybin, which to remind you is a natural hallucinogenic in mushrooms, is well developed and has been going on for years. The FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, it calls psilocybin a breakthrough therapy for the treatment of PTSD and depression. So there's lots of research going on at UAB, Johns Hopkins all over the country um, with psilocybin. And I would think that... Taylor says that MDMA, also known as ecstasy, will likely be the first psychedelic substance to be implemented in the United States medical system. 
According to her, these drugs often have less side effects than man-made pharmaceuticals. So they're kind of on track to be scheduled or to be released for, for clinical practice in the next year or two. Wow, that's soon. It's very soon, yes. So it's, it's gone through, you know, all the different phases of research and there's very few side effects. You know, the side effects as compared to a lot of medications we have now are considered um, less less adverse effects, less side effects. Um, hallucinogens in general are considered quite safe medicines. There's low potential for um, overdose. I would say, you know, there's no recorded deaths associated with psilocybin as far as I'm aware. You know, you cannot... In addition to studies at John Hopkins, there are also researchers studying psilocybin at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, including a study using hallucinogens to treat addiction. So UAB has conducted research there. Uh, Dr. Peter Hendricks hosted a study with cocaine addicts with psilocybin. And at the follow-up, I, um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was very successful, you know, uh, I think most people were cured of their addiction even at, you know, three months, six months afterwards, which is just unheard of with with other treatment for cocaine addiction. So a lot of people were able to recover their lives, go get a job, hold a job, take care of their family, not get back on these hard drugs. So it was, it was like a life-changing experience for them to be in that research study at UAB. And it's quite fascinating as well as uh, lifetime psychedelic users have a lower rate of domestic violence, so less rates of uh, incarceration and, and being in, in physical altercations. I know we've been throwing a lot of statistics at you, but now it's time to stop and ask why these statistics exist. How could psychedelics decrease violence? Well, according to Taylor, it all comes back to one word, empathy. So it sort of indicates that perhaps these substances, um, you know, produce a sense of calmness or there's there's that empathy. You know, if you if you see yourself the way that you see someone sitting next to you, you're less likely to to hurt them. You know, you don't you don't want to hurt someone. Psilocybin, for example, helps interconnect parts of your brain. It improves uh, circulation in your brain and promotes neurogenesis. So it helps regrow areas of your brain that were not quite developed or have been damaged or, you know, uh, what have you. And, and that's quite fascinating. You know, it produces more growth in your, in your brain. So a lot of people have more creativity and um, I'm not an expert by any means in in neurobiology, you know, but I would imagine that in some way, you know, that as you regrow your brain, you can repair and, and regenerate pieces of your brain that perhaps you're, didn't regulate your mood correctly. Or uh, She gives the example of how cannabis can regulate your mood and keep your body's functions in balance. You know, just like, so cannabis is, it works with the endocannabinoid system in your body and produces a state of homeostasis so people who consume cannabis which is i consider an antigen or psychedelic substance it brings you to a balance so it's it it's it works within your receptors in your body to level you out so to speak notice that she called cannabis an entheogen it's important to note the meaning of that word Taylor explains that entheogens are a wider term for psychedelics that include all substances that help provide a sense of empathy, even the ones that don't cause hallucinations. 
I know we've talked about psychedelic studies being done at other research universities, but it's time to bring it back to Auburn. Taylor said that, to her knowledge, Auburn is doing some research on the effects of cannabis on the brain, but has not yet made it to psychedelics. There's there's a lot of uh, of room for for Auburn to get involved in cannabis and psychedelic studies and be right up there with UAB and Johns Hopkins and, and, you know, put, put, put yourself on, on the map and make ourselves the best because we are the best. (laughs) So that brings me to a question that Taylor said she gets asked all the time. Why stay in Alabama? (laughs) That's, I mean, really. Many people ask me that. They say, why don't you just go to Oregon? You can go work in cannabis there. You can go do whatever there. And honestly, that's not my home. You know, I want to stay in my home. This is my home. Why am I being kicked out of my... I shouldn't feel like I have to be forced out of my home. Why can't I just make my home a great place? I love Alabama's lakes. I love um, hiking around. I love Auburn University a lot. I really love this school. I've had a really good experience here. I feel like my education that I received from Auburn really set me up to have the courage to pursue you know, my own dreams and my own passions and gave me a strong foundation in nursing care set me up to be a successful psychiatric nurse. Taylor's personal philosophy on life and nursing has set her up for her advocacy in psychedelics. And a Charles Dickens quote she placed on her personal website sticks out. No one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of another. I found that quote and it just, it rang true to me as far as what I feel like a nurse should be. You know, you a nurse can't necessarily cure every person that they come in contact with, but you should at the very least not make their condition worse or, or make their suffering worse. So This idea of easing others' burdens prompted Taylor to found the International Association of Psychedelic Nursing in February 2020. The organization has about 300 members around the world right now that are coming together to talk about what psychedelic use in the medical field could look like. So we have so many people who are, who are connecting and we're all working together to, to determine, you know, what are the best practices? What does a realistic future look like? You know, we, we can't ignore that these substances do work for a lot of people. And uh, what do we do with that? And what, how do we handle this as a world and as a, as a species? A handful of cities across the United States have decriminalized psilocybin, including Denver, Colorado, as well as Oakland and Santa Cruz, California. The state of Oregon recently decriminalized psilocybin and legalized it for therapeutic use. In the South, however, it is still illegal. No city has voted to decriminalize. This hasn't stopped Taylor from advocating for its use in medical and therapeutic environments for mental health treatment. I'm really looking forward to growth in this area. I think there's sort of unlimited nearly growth in in psychedelic medicine. You're seeing master's programs and, and doctorate programs and things pop up now in psychedelic studies. Um, so I, I connected to a large network of healthcare professionals and mental health care professionals who have worked with psychedelics, are interested in working with psychedelics. It's just, it's a whole field that is emerging. From the Auburn Plainsman, this has been Sweet 1111. I'm Katie Carroll, signing off. See you next week.